to be within a specific discipline, a specific world, a specific reality. To know is extremely useful for getting things done within that particular discipline or world or reality. To be an effective doctor or a pastry chef or a financial analyst, there's much that is critical to know. But knowing by its nature is bounded by and in fact reinforcing of the reality within which it occurs. For 25 years, I've worked with executives in large organizations, grad students, tech entrepreneurs, religious leaders, and no doubt my toughest client, myself, on developing the capacity to explore what lies beyond knowing, beyond certainty. At a practical level, this work is required for things like innovation, but more importantly, I've found that this inquiry is critical for maintaining one's humanity. Oh, and if you're generous enough to be listening to these conversations, I'd respectfully submit that at any point, if you feel you understand what I'm saying, you're not listening deeply enough. I'm A.M. Bot. Welcome to Absurd Wisdom. And for today's conversation, we are continuing the ongoing series with Ben Heller, CTO of Driver Technologies. Uh, let's jump right in. Cool. All right. So, so, so improvisation, creativity. Yeah, well, as I was sort of spinning on things to bring to the table, uh, we had talked a little bit about how these conversations were going to be semi-improvisational. Right. And like anything improvisational, there's going to be moments where it falls flat and moments where it really soars and takes sure. off. And I've been, I've been reading just books and essays generally about like, what it means to be creative, what it means to be an innovator. And it's talked a lot in industry. How do we innovate? How do we create? And we talk a lot less about improvisation mm. in the context of how people work together in society and technology is really seen as an extension of the arts. Sure. But what we do on a daily basis, to me, feels more similar to improvisation, sometimes collective improvisation, sometimes more traditionally what you think of as like a solo in you know, an improvisational style than something that's purely creative. And when I think about improvisation, the difference is not everybody, to me, can do it instantly. Mm -hmm. I think everyone is inherently creative. We can all just create. I can create something right now that's based on my own experience, kind of the bits and pieces that I've collected over time, and then I can funnel that out into something that's creative. Even people who say, I'm not creative, are creative. And I remember saying that to someone once. Mm. Oh, I'm not creative. Like, right. I don't write songs or poetry. And I was like, yeah, you are creative. You're generative in that way. Improvisation is different. If you take somebody who's incredibly skilled at playing an instrument mm -hmm. and you tell them to improvise, what you're telling them is improvise in a particular style, yeah. in an idiom. You, know, you may be able to improvise within the bluegrass idiom, but you yeah. can't improvise in a jazz idiom. You can improvise in bebop, but you can't improvise in a <clears throat> traditional New Orleans style. And what improvisation is, is knowing the rules, understanding the expectations and the context yeah. around a particular set of behaviors, and then creating within that, riffing and playing on the thing yeah. of itself. 
You might touch on the melody. You might expand on the melody. You might immediately depart from it, having already kind of set that aside. You know, you get to pick where your starting line is yeah. in improvisation, but it's entirely respectful and encompassing of the rules that you've set out for that genre or that occasion or performance. And you can do it alone. It's just you and you're being supported by the people around you. And you can do it together. You can have five people all improvising at mm. the same time. But there's an expectation that as you're improvising, you're listening to the other people that are supporting you. It's a little bit of a conversation. And it's a conversation where the people who are backing you up can change the rules as you go. They can change the dynamics. They can let you just burst out into something that's, you know, jubilant, or they can tone you down, saying, actually, you know, you really need to keep this muted and subtle. And so it's, a, it's far more nuanced than the idea of just creativity. And it's actually, in a, in a way, restrained. And, you know, this that goes to the conversation of how people say, well, you know, limitations kind of breed creativity, right? Set some limitations, and then within that, you can create, yep. and you're going to be able to create more successfully. Um, but I don't know why we don't talk about improvisation as something that I should be doing in my, in my daily life. Yeah, how do I bring that spirit yeah. to everything that we do? And what is that? What does that mean when it translates yeah, it's interesting. It's a, I, I was smelling halfway through early on uh, when, you, when you were making this distinction. It's a story I've told for, for 20 years, and, and, and I just always assumed, in fact, in my memory, like I, I, I looked this up and confirmed it was a true story. But, but in the last few years, I, I, I kind of went digging into it just because it occurred to me, oh, I should try to find the original tape of this. And I can't find it. So it may well be an, 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 an apocryphal story, but I'm sticking to it because it's such a great story. Charlie Parker. Um, yeah, jazz one of the greats. Both. Yeah, right. So, so the story goes that, that, that in the mid '60s, he's being interviewed um, over in England, and and he's asked, you know, uh, Mr. Parker, you are acknowledged even by your peers, and your peers are giants, but even by your peers, you're acknowledged as the greatest living improvisational player, right? right? Not the greatest player, necessarily, but the greatest living improvisational player. What do you attribute that to? And he says, uh, well. Uh, First thing you gotta do is you gotta master your uh, your instrument. You know, my instrument's a saxophone. Yeah, you gotta practice and practice and practice. So the second thing you gotta do is you gotta master your medium. My, my medium's jazz. You gotta practice and practice and practice. He said, you gotta get up on stage. And you gotta forget all that shit and you just gotta fucking wail. <laughs> and I've always loved that because that like that's how I live my life. But the part of it that people miss is you gotta master your instrument. And you got to practice and practice and practice. And you got to master your medium. To your point, you got to pick a medium, master it, right? And then when you go up on stage, now you can improvise. What, what improvisation looks like, you know, too often is, is what James Cars calls playing at something, mm. right? Not playing. Charlie Parker played. Most people play at the thing mm. because they haven't done the, 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 the required work of practice, 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 right? Improvisation is at the tail end of a lifetime or, or years at least of really dedicated, disciplined practice mm. in a medium. That medium could be software engineering. It could be jazz, right? And of an instrument. And for me, the instrument is always self. 
Mm. Right. But, but you know, Parker's case, he's saying saxophone. I'd, I'd, I'd make a case that anybody working at that level is, is at minimum working on two instruments, the physical instrument, but really the instrument is self. Mm. And the degree to which you've worked on self, worked on self, worked on self, in the organizational context, you're taking leadership. Mm. The degree to which you've, you've, you've understood that I am the instrument and organization is the medium and you've practiced and practiced and practiced, and then stepping in and, and engaging in this kind of way of, 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 of leading, not managing, you know, not getting the day-to-day work done, but, but all the things we kind of talk around with leadership. Um, that's beautiful. That's, that to me is improvisation. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the tail end of something. So I, re- I really like the distinction. And, and just the last thing I'll say is, so, 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 so you know, a, a TLDR I might put to it, uh, to, 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 to at least part of what you've said is creativity is inherently human. Mm-hmm. You were born creative. That, you know, a two-year-old, it is just this thing we have. It's just creative. It's just express, 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 right? But improvisation is an outcome of, of, of channeling that creativity. In, 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 it's part of what happens when that creativity is channeled through an extended period of disciplined action, mm-hmm. right? It's a kind, of, a kind of freedom of expression that emerges uh, a, a refinement of that energy of creativity. It's like it's like random electricity versus having a really powerful, you know, electrical infrastructure, and I can channel that energy of creativity into this thing, and it still sparks, but it's it's I don't know, not controlled. What would it be? This is longer than a TLDR should be. So I'll, I'll stop there. I think you got the gist of what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, no, I like that because you got us something I think really critical there at the end, which is you know maybe the formula for improvisation is really like creativity plus discipline yeah. over time, right? Yeah. And people can get stuck on either side of it. Like you know, as you suggested, you can get stuck at the point at which you don't put in the work yeah. and you just are trying to express yourself in a context that actually you're a novice in. And then what's being expressed is kind of raw creativity. And that's not as, it doesn't resonate as yeah. much as something that is, has that discipline around it. Um, or you can be on the other side. And I, I remember as a young musician, I got to do a workshop with Wynton Marsalis. Mm. And part of it was, you know, I was the trumpet player in a quintet and I was playing for him. Yeah. And it came to my turn to solo. And he walked up to my stand and he knocked my stand over with all of my music, so wow. I couldn't see the changes anymore. And he's like, you're just playing the notes and the chords. You're not making anything. Right. And he's like, you know you know the notes and the chords. I can hear you know them. It's yeah. time for you to take that leap. Yeah. And you know, I see a lot of people kind of on both sides of that, people who are so interested in feeling like they've put in the work, they can't admit to themselves that they haven't yet. And people who have absolutely put in the work, who are so afraid to let go and see what happens when they actually experiment and actually put themselves out there. Because there's a level of exposure to improvisation that lends itself to just falling flat completely. But I, the folks that I, I think I identify with professionally, socially, and just culturally are are improvisers, because there's a measure of respect of just. Truly, you've mastered something. Yep. You've mastered something to the degree that now you can take chances. Mm-hmm. And you know that the reward of those chances is something that could be special. Mm-hmm. And the drawback of those chances is acknowledging the faults that you know exist and are there and you've accepted. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's not going to be brilliant all the time. Yeah. That's, all, that's okay. You can see through the cracks a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just wonder how to identify that 
in the world at large because I'm lacking I'm lacking the description that I would love to basically put on a you know poster sign and walk around with when I'm looking for people I want to interact with in the yeah. world. So there's a there's a uh, uh, this would be a great like 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 what do they call cut in piece whatever cut <laughs> sure. away cut yeah. <laughs> we cut to like a, a five second video of this in the MAL well, we used to use this uh, 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 this video it's from a film called um, America's Heart and Soul. And so these vignettes of people around the country and just, just, it's not, you know, uh, it got bashed a little bit as proper as, as, as remember Fahrenheit 9-11, the, uh, uh, Michael Moore movie? Yep. This got bashed as a sort of, you know, conservative response to that. And I, anything but, it was like a celebration of kind of like, you know, when you strip away all of the politics and all the like, like, like some things that make, you know, Americans really unique and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Anyway, anyway, there's, there's one vignette. Um, they're these cliff dancers. And so what they do is they, 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 they go to these like sheer cliff faces, right? And, you know, and they rappel down and they anchor themselves in and then they dance, but vertically, <laughs> right? So they treat the, so, you know, they're, they're like at a 90 degree yeah, and they're, they're all ballet dancers and, and, and like classically trained, you know, push off and, and, push off, right? yeah. and there's a, the, 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 there's one moment where this woman who's part of the group, one of the founders of the group, says, I have to get anchored in. Once I'm anchored into the rock, I'm free. Hmm. That, that paradox, which is what I hear you saying, right? Yeah. It's a paradox. Once I'm anchored in, I'm free, right? And so all of the discipline, the years of really understanding, because you're not anchored in properly. If you haven't mastered that, you're dead in that case, right? Yeah. And so all of the discipline and focus and micro minutia and skills and all that, is what's required to then dance ballet at a 90 degree angle and, and jazz and, impro and improvise all this. Stuff. And it's gorgeous. It's beautiful stuff. But I love that. Yeah. that. I mean, that's, that's the perfect analog, right? And I, most people, fortunately, don't have to do that in such a high-risk environment. But yeah. that's, that's why it's impressive is yeah. to see someone actually do that. Yeah. So, you know, I, so go ahead. No, I was just saying, but, but, but they're, just, they're all high-risk environments, right? Because... because To improvise in the way that the other we're speaking about here is maybe your body's not at risk, but your sense of self is, right? Mm -hmm. By its nature, if improvisation comes at the end of mastery, you've earned the right to be expert. Look at me. I got shit figured out. Now, if I'm going to take that and I'm going to improvise with it, to your point of just a moment ago, I could fall flat on my face. And so I'm, I'm, I have to put at risk your notion of me as somebody who's gotten there. If right. I'm willing to improvise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. It, and that's something we actually cling to. And I find myself clinging to actually. It's, it's something that I, I, in terms of, as you talk about building the self and cultivating the self, the thing that I seem to be coming back to again and again recently is actually allowing myself to be perceived as someone grossly unqualified. Mm -hmm. Because to a certain extent, when you ask people to do anything with you, yeah. There's, you're in a normal model. You're saying this is based on my level of qualification, mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to make good decisions through and through, and I'm going to take you on a trajectory that is, you know, positive for both of us. That's sort of the commitment, and the reason someone would commit to you is a sense that, well, this person knows what they're doing. Yeah. They're going to make good decisions because of some background they have, some knowledge they have something they've internalized that I haven't quite yet. And that's the definition of someone who, who leads. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, the further I go down this funnel, and I'm not pretending to be all the way down it in the slightest, I'm, I'm still near the top, but I realize that mostly it comes down to this kind of improvisation mm-hmm. where you're actually asking people to invest in the creative product and to not, not necessarily in something that is in any way a sure bet. Right. You know, most people who are running organizations or leading people, I feel really don't know what they're doing and they know that and actually everyone else should know that but we don't we we create an illusion to make people feel comfortable that the person that we're following is on it you know i think of politicians in in this in particular that you know politicians have to project an air of like cool confidence in reality I'd love to see someone say, like, I'm just riffing here, man. You know, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm an expert, and I understand all the pieces and where they sit, but this is something that we're going to figure out if this works together. And we, that honesty just seems to be lost. Yeah, so so, so Ben, it's it's a problem of theology. You see, if, if your God is a manager who has laid out the whole thing, that has a plan to it, and that there's a way to get right and get wrong. I think that has consequences. And if you're God, like I, 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 I've, you know, I've always said uh, uh, human beings, every human being uh, somewhere around the age of like 15 or so should have to spend six months in Switzerland, followed immediately by six months in, in, in Mumbai. <laughs> uh, now Mumbai is a very different place now than it was, you know, in my kind of reference, right? To see like, how perfectly ordered and 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 neat and and you know all of that life can, you know, can be and it works and to see how completely ca- you like the Mumbai of my memory you know India in general my memory but you get off the plane uh, and you get into you know in, 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 into Mumbai and if you've never been I, I think it's a sense of Oh my God, I just got here 60 seconds after something terrible just happened. Like an earthquake must have just happened or a bomb must have gone off because everything is just, ah, just people running at this, like just chaos, right? It's what it feels like, right? But our gods are that. Mm-hmm. They're constantly, like Hinduism is just constantly questions and the gods fighting with each other and they're kind of like, we don't know and maybe we know and we're not sure. And it's just, it's all about continuing the thing. Don't worry about continuing it. Yeah, you die, you're still going to continue the thing. You can just go, and it leads to a society that looks chaotic, but it works. Right. It's highly creative and it's, you know, and really good at improvising. Uh, really good at improvising, right? I say theology and I mean theology. I don't mean it's a religious problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. like one religion's better than the other. Like, I'm saying it's, it's, it's the sort of, you know, cos- the, your view of the cosmos, your understanding of how the universe is, I have to imagine over time has an impact on how you think you are and therefore how you have to be. Mm. I mean, it must at sort of a fundamental level I went really broad. I took your your ground concept organization. I went up to like this is hundred thousand feet. <laughs> this is know? great. Yeah. Well, because I think this is you know this is sort of I'm improvising. Of like Give me some slack. The uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, this is this is why we do this. Yeah, you know, yeah, as far as yeah. I'm concerned, in the way that like everything begets everything, mm-hmm. right? We we kind of the way we organize is a reflection of the way that we think, and the way that we think is a reflection of our our aspirations right. and you know the things that give us comfort at the most fundamental levels. And the idea that it works mm. 
is is actually I think hotly contested yeah. by you know different cultures. This is what culture clash is: right. is to say, well, it, it doesn't look like it works. We're somewhat more advanced than you in some way that we can identify. Because you know we have assembly lines, yep. uh, and or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and so we're going to ignore all of the like positive byproducts of being organized in whatever way you are, and we're going to emphasize the positive byproducts of being organized in the way that we are. And when it comes to the show and tell aspect of that, like the physical products historically always seem to kind of take primacy mm-hmm. over the uh, cultural or the spiritual mm-hmm. products of that. And it'd be interesting to understand, like, how can we convince the victors in some way, the people who are convinced yeah. that, you know, the nine to five <laughs> is is the, the biggest win, uh, that actually, you know what, letting things disintegrate a little bit into chaos is not actually that. It's just a different type of order. It's a different type of way of moving forward together. Yeah. Uh, And it's really hard to do that at a, um, a, at a business, you know, at a, in a thing that has to function in a financial system that is actually working against that type of process. Uh, And oftentimes I have this conversation with people I work with who are, uh, you know, very sensible, and they'll bring to me a, a litany of like, here are the things that seem to be not functioning right. perfectly in a very linear fashion where everything is tightly coupled. And my answer is usually like, well, for where we are in our development, the level of swirling chaos, yeah. this is the this is the stew that we're all sitting in together. This is the nature of it. We can't fight the nature of it. You can try to bring order to that in various ways as you see it Mm -hmm. becoming important to you and your space. Mm -hmm. But what the thing itself is, is that swirling cacophonous mixture because out of that is how opportunity arises. And it's when you don't know what the next thing is going to be, you don't look for linear connections between what came before and what comes next. If you want to say, here's everything, here are all the ingredients, I'm just going to reach in and, and see what comes out of it, yeah. then that's, that's sort of the necessary state. But boy, does that really irk people. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to my 100,000 feet uh, 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 foot kind of, kind of take do, on this conversation. Yeah. And that is, again, for, for you know, um, whatever the last three decades, this is a... Um, this is one of the things I got clear about in, in my in my teens when I kind of did the deep dive into into sort of philosophy and and, and more importantly wisdom traditions. Um, these and again, this is not you know religion like one is better than the other. This is just trying to take a kind of a view of of of, of you know what are the sort of residual effects of different ways of living is the question I got really intrigued by early on. Right, mm. the single greatest wound inflicted on the Western mind by um, however it emerged, right? I'll, I'll say the Abrahamic traditions, but, but you know, uh, as filtered through human, you know, um, interpretation and, and leveraging. But the single greatest wound to the Western mind that it then inflicted on, on, on the rest of the world is the notion of done. Mm. You see, the Western theology proceeds from not only the possibility, but the imperative to be done. Mm to be perfected, to be done. The done is possible. And in fact, 
the goal of life is to be done. And in fact, the goal of the entire of creation is to get to done, right? The Eastern traditions and the indigenous traditions have no sense of done. It's process. Yeah. The whole orientation is next, next, next. There is no done, mm. right? And so um, for me, the, the, you know, industrialization, colonization, I mean, I'm painting with very broad strokes here, and so I don't mean this, you know, in anything other than just broad strokes as a way to, you know, very obliquely point to something. But, 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 but so many of the challenges of Western, you know, society, life, and um, problems, uh, and so many of the really, really, really powerfully valuable things that Western society has given us, you know, medicine, and, and I, you know, I'll just stick with that alone is enough, right? Um, they all proceed from this notion of done. The purpose of life is to be done done with a project, done with a goal, done with perfecting one's spirit and soul, done with perfecting God's creation so the planet can blow up and we can all ascend to heaven, the true believers, right? Which yeah. we got some people running around like trying to, trying to move us towards that agenda, you know? Um, and so done, done for me permanently. When I look around, if I had to name one thing that kind of is, is the root of sort of, sort of you know, this, this kind of sense of lack of ease, dis, dis-ease to be, you know, Instagram cliche uh, new age about it, right? <laughs> but this lack of ease is this notion of done, is that I have to be done. Mm. I have to get to done. I have to, for, I have to figure out what done is, and then I have to get there. And you bearded freaks want to talk to me about improvisation? I'm trying to get <laughs> done. I'm trying to get done, and you want me to get past done to like just, just <laughs> what are you, nuts? Right? I think it goes that deep for us. I think it is in the collective consciousness in the West that things like actual improvisation, the way you're talking about them, are, are like, I'll go far as to say is evil, mm. right? Because they're in opposition to done. We're supposed to get done. <laughs> the first thing that came, comes to mind with that is obviously is things, things that are not done and why. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a famous piano piece, uh, Vexations, by a composer, Eric Satie, uh, who he's, you know, you'll hear his music in films a lot and whatnot. But Vexations is, I, I believe it's a 24 bar phrase that's uh, written to be played over an entire day, mm. over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And there's a few professional pianists who, after having attempted it, just stopped playing. Yeah. You know, like that's well, it. You know, where... like, so somebody in New York recently, like in the last few years, didn't they do this? Perhaps. It's like, been like, attempted like, a like handful a 14 of 14-day kind of whatever, yeah, anyway. Yeah. You know, and it just, it takes the idea of like, you're waiting for this phrase to resolve. Mm. Your brain wants it to be done. Everything in the musical cadence tells you we're about to finish right. and then it starts again yeah. and you have these expectations of well okay that was one repetition when would i expect it to be done now right. well probably eight or 16 repetitions yeah. of it because that's how we tend to do things and then it just keeps going and it goes and it goes and it never resolves and it's this this sense of well, not only is it not going to be done, but I'm going to take a thing that you fundamentally expect to, right, that you've right. been told your whole life it's going to end, and we're just going to keep doing it and keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. the reports of the people who've done this are that like they are deeply reevaluating their relationship with the instrument, with music mm. in their whole awesome. life as they're performing yeah. this. And, you know, I, someone, I 
I'll have to look up the interview because it's pretty phenomenal. But they're like, I started to physically feel the piece in my body as I was playing it. First, it was just my hands and then my shoulders. And it, it began to actually migrate, you know, through them. And, you know, the, the notion of doneness is so, um, it's so problematic because I think in a previous conversation, I had actually brought up uh, kind of the opposite, almost the importance of doneness, mm. which uh, there's a fellow out there who does these things called tiny projects. And uh, the idea is that he picks a project, he picks an idea, yeah. he works on it for a week, and then it's done. And it's uh, just that bite-sized you know, idea of, I can do this, I can work on it, I can bring it to life, and then I can set it aside. And you could probably, in the context of this conversation, say, well, he's not really saying it's done. He's saying... I'm capable of putting something down and then I'm capable of picking it back up yeah. and putting it down and picking it back up. Yeah. And it's actually, it's an acknowledgement of the very opposite. Yeah. So we, 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 so we have a, a distinction for that in, in, in our work. Um, this phrasing of it uh, uh, came from my friend uh, and former partner, uh, Mel Toomey. Uh, he and I ran the, um, uh, the master's program together. Uh, he passed two years ago. Um, complete. Right, and so we'll we'll end conversations. It's still a, it's an ongoing practice. Are you complete? Complete doesn't mean you've said everything. You can't. You can't be done. But are you complete for now? What there is to say for now? Yes, I'm complete. Yeah. Right, and so that's what I hear in these projects. Right? I'm not done. Like an artist is not done, but I'm complete. This piece is complete, and which is a very much a, a, the intention there is for now. Right, there's no there's no permanence in my doneness here. This is, I'm complete for now. This piece of work, this expressions, I'm complete. Yeah. And I think it's a really important distinction uh, as, as you move through life. Uh, just a quick other thing. When you were talking about that, that, yeah, that piano piece, the, the way my kind of, you know, uh, a chaotic mind works is I instantly thought of uh, the ending of Sopranos oh, and how yeah. freaked out people <laughs> got. Like, they would have been like, they love Tony. They didn't want to see him get shot in the head, but they would have preferred to watch him get shot in the head than the just blank screen. Cut to black. Just, yeah. You didn't finish it. What you, you didn't, it was like this outrage. You didn't finish it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, Tony sort of lives on in our heads, rent free. The Sopranos was never done. He's never done. You don't put the thing to bed. It just yeah. stays. Yeah. I, it feels like, you know, in conversations a lot. And part of the reason that uh, I, I relish these conversations is conversation lives outside the scope of when it's actually occurring mm. and not to this uh, the sense of like well i'm going to rehash it and like Duh, did i really say that or oh i i botched this thing or that thing sure. but there's voices that echo conversations aren't done when you leave the room and when you stop having them you know i've been yeah. in conversation with conversations i've had for years yeah. that are these seminal things that are become touchstones, mm -hmm. you know, with that I am constantly going back to and holding something up. And, you know, I, uh, I watching interviews with Paul McCartney, a lot of music references today, but I'm going to roll with it. Mm -hmm. uh, interviews with Paul McCartney and he was talking about John and after John had passed that he would write a song. And the first thing he would do is have a conversation to see if John would have liked the song mm. and what his feedback would have been. Is it, does it need to be edgier? You know, he brought out characteristics that in his own work, he wouldn't have normally, you know, had taken issue with, but John would have. And so having that conversational partner there as a way to review and reflect was so important. And, 
you know, the idea of, of doneness, I think a lot of people, they leave the room, they leave the meeting, the thing is over, mm-hmm. they've achieved their goal, there's an action item, we move on. And what remains isn't the person or kind of the spirit of the conversation. What remains is what was the product. And I've been in so many groups of uh, wonderful, like motivated people who are so frustrated that there's no product at the end of a conversation or a meeting or it's like, well, yes, there is. The product is the thing that we just did together. The, the I don't know, call it creation. I don't, I don't even know what yeah. the word is, but it's um, the process, you know, is itself a product. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the distinction about the conversation doesn't you know, end when you stop speaking with it. I, I, and this is literally how I, how I experience life. Like I, um, and again, at MAOL, we kind of talk about this more, more transparently just because there's context for it. But I, I am convinced I am nothing more than a conversation. Mm. Like, I have a physical body. I don't think there's, like, that's an illusion and all that. But my sense of me, like the actual sense, it's a conversation. Mm. And uh, it is an ongoing conversation. Um, right now, it's a conversation with James Cars and Walt Whitman and uh, 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 Ramana Marishi and Jesus, uh, but not with Paul, you know? <laughs> And when I look at the people that I'm in ongoing conversation with, and it with Mel, you know, my, I mean, Mel Toomey was, you know, Mel's a conservative, a bit older than me, 83, but he used to use the uh, 83 when he passed a couple of years ago. But uh, he, you know, he and I, when we first met, we just like, oh yeah, cool. We've been in conversation. We, we've already been in conversation, haven't we, right? It's one of those kind of. And so when I, when I look at the people that I'm in conversation with constantly, when I'm in conversation with you, and I am in conversation with you, but I'm in, in this conversation, they are all, like I'll take one, Whitman. Mm. Whitman is a conversation. He has nothing to say to you definitively, right? Vonnegut had nothing to say definitively for the most part. They're not statements. Those human beings were not statements. Mm. They were conversations. And so they can get carried on, right? And again, Western society, doneness, statements, the 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 the, in, the 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 linguistic invitation is be a statement with a period at the end. Yeah. Right. And I get much more intrigued with be a conversation with an ellipsis at the end. Yeah. Right. And and in that way, there's a certain carrying of other. Right. So I carry Whitman and I carry Mel and in not the words they said, but the conversation we have. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I know that I get carried, not in terms of you know clever things I said but that I'm part of others' conversation. It's their conversation. In fact, they are the conversation. Yeah. And yet, grammatically and, you know, uh, syntactually and linguistically, there's, I'm part of that, mm. right? And it's, 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 I don't know, it's, it's, it's a way to live life that I found to be very useful, if not always productive in, in, in the business sense of the word. And it consistently emerges business value where I never would have thought to look for it. Mm. Yeah. That's, you know, that touches on something that we, we've discussed before, but the idea of allowing, like th- there's a sense in my, my own life that like searching for business value feels like very contrary to how I want to live my life, how I want to exist. Uh, there's some people who love it, right? They, lo- the, they relish kind of gaming the system, understanding the system, participating in it, and being able to exploit it. And you know, that's a form of creativity, and that's great. 
the idea of taking something that is a practice that is supposed to be for my own benefit and then seeing manifestations from that that lead me to a path of like, well, hold on a second, we could build a thing here. You know, it, it, I struggle with what feels genuine about that and allowing a genuine feeling of like, you know what, I just, I had an idea, something came to me through this conversation I'm in with these inspirations, and this is actually like the appropriate manifestation of something that really came from, from inside and mm. I should pursue this versus like, exploiting those systems to kind of wring them of their value and then like leaving them, you know, leaving the dirty shirt in the corner and moving on. And I don't know how to to frame that in a way where I I could say like, here's what's respectful. But to me, maybe it's, it it is that it's whether you discard the source material once you've squeezed it of its value or whether you continue with it because you believe that there's still yet something else to come from it. I, I would, you know, when I, uh, uh, the, you know, the distinction for me that, that I sort of, part of my sort of framework for living that, that starts to resonate in, in what you're saying there is, is uh, abstraction and concreteness, mm. is that we are encouraged to engage with each other uh, as abstractions, mm. right? And so my job in the conversation, which isn't actually a conversation, is to figure out what part of you needs to get wrung out mm. for value in this context. And then to leave you, you know, I, I, I tell my, you know, my grad students, I've been telling them for, you know, again, 25 years, I was like, you're never going to get hired for a job. You will never be hired for a job. That's just what grad students want to hear. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? yeah they have sure so they It's one that. of many things I say to go for you. But, but it's true. Nobody has ever been hired for a job, for the most part. Certainly in a corporate context, nobody. Yeah. An abstraction of them has. That abstraction of them that has the set of skills and experiences that, that lead to reliable, predictable outcomes relative to the machine description of that role, that's who gets hired. Mm-hmm. And you build houses uh, for Habitat for Humanity on the side, awesome, you're a great human being, we love it. That's not what we're hiring. Yeah. You've got three kids at home that you care about, awesome. It's, none of it's evil intention, right? But the design of the system is mechanistic, it is abstraction mm-hmm. and utilitarian. And again, these things, we can't live in these structures and not have it permeate our day-to-day existence. We can't have a theology. It doesn't permeate how we interact with the barista. We can't have a system of work that doesn't permeate how I deal with my kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so this view of, 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 of our economic and, and productive lives as people you know, are useful in the abstract can't help but permeate how we engage with each other, right? Yeah. And, and what I hear you speaking to is engaging with people concretely as the whole t-shirt, as it were, you know? (laughs) And yes, for now, this thing, you know, uh, um, this abstraction of them is useful in the context of this conversation or this piece of work or, you know, but um, not abstracting them to that value, right? Yeah. It's it's, it's how a gardener approaches the garden, right? It's like this red fruit is, you know, this abstraction of the tree is what's valuable right now, hmm. right? So pick the apple. Yeah. But I don't fail to engage with the tree and the need for the tree's concrete health, hmm. you know? Um, well, in that example, the tree produces more abstractions. You're actually, it's, it's an incentive system yeah. that leads to sort of a positive well, in interaction. Case, yeah, yeah, fair cycle. enough. But, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah. I, it just reminded me, my, um, my grandfather... 
used to be a person who did a lot of amateur theater and acting and whatnot. Mm. And he had a personality was just a little bit theatrical. And when yeah. he was on the phone with somebody, he'd start as himself and the call would end and he'd be a completely different person. Right. He would slowly take on the cadence of speech of the person he was talking to. If they had a, a slight you know, regional accent, sure. he'd start picking that up. And by the end of the call, you're like, what's going on? You know, who is, is he like mocking this guy? But it just kind of happened naturally. It was the way that he molded into... It was almost like he created an abstraction that became the mirror of the other person. You know, there's no way you can do that with the entirety of a human being. You identify a set of characteristics yep. that's kind of strung out along this vertical plane, yep. and then you you step into that. Yep. And you know, it was such a such an interesting process. But when I think about it, I think this is actually what we often mistake for compassion mm. or actually feeling like we, we like, hey, I really understand who this person is and, and what's going on with them. Well, it's what I understand is kind of the piece of you that I've strung out right. to give me a sense of it's like a okay, top to bottom. I've, I've got the whole silhouette. I haven't colored any of it in yet, but I've got the silhouette, so I feel pretty good. And, and what's happened, you know, in a lot of the people that I've worked with who I really felt that I knew the whole person, where I've said, actually, I know you. Now come, come enter into this like entrepreneurial environment right, right. with me, is I then created the abstraction after the fact. It was the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> because that it's, it's still necessary to engage with abstractions on a daily basis. You can't engage with a whole person in right. most of the context that we've created professionally. I would say once every two weeks, I have a meeting with someone on my team where I have no agenda, they have no agenda, and we are truly listening to one another and we're able to actually just fully take in whatever the other person has to bring. But inevitably, the shape that that takes isn't that vertical. It's a horizontal cross-section mm -hmm. where you don't get any full sense of any full topic or emotion or feeling, but it's a genuine, like a piece of the cake that reflects everything that's happening yeah. to them at any particular point in time. But that's, that's rare and fleeting, and I haven't yet had the courage in my own life to say, well, what, if, what if every conversation were like that? What would happen? You know, and too many balls would be dropped. That's the fear, is that something still has to run no. in the way that we expect it to in most of our relationships. Sure. So how how much can you optimize for this thing that like clearly I see there's value in that type yeah. of interaction, but I can't quite go all the way. And I don't know if you feel like you've engineered, you know, your entire life and everything that you do here to be more of that than not. But I'd be really curious, you know, how how you prioritize those types of interactions. Yeah. So so I mean in the, in, a, in a in a practical sense, you know, in the context of a of an organization, this one or, or previous ones I've had, um, I, I am always biased towards like hiring concrete with a, a clear conversation about a for now abstraction, right? So we'll post for a job, we'll post for an abstraction, yeah. but then as soon as we, and even in the in the job description or the posting, we'll 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 kind of point to this, but really it gets into the interview is we're hiring you, mm -hmm. and so what that means is whole you has to really resonate with whole us. Right, you as you know, operations coordinator, 
simply resonating with, with us as employer, this set of salaries, this set of job duties, this set of benefits, it's not enough. It's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the understanding is always maybe that abstraction has sort of lived its life cycle, mm-hmm. right? Either because you're bored by it, the nature of the thing has shifted, and now no longer does, you know, that's like the best abstraction of you to get work done, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're hiring concrete, and we've done this, right? It's like, cool. What's the abstraction you want to engage with now that adds, you know, that adds value that we need to have done, et cetera? And we'll let people take on totally different roles that have nothing to do with their skill set. Now, I, I'm not an idiot, and I'm not naive. More importantly, there are places where you can't do that, right? If you've got a, you know, uh, um, I don't know, an AI software engineering kind of eight years of deep expertise, it's not like you can just kind of overnight say, okay, cool. Why don't you, you know, handle operations or whatever it might be, right? And because yeah. there's an impact to the business. Well, it might be fun. <laughs> might be fun, right? So, so there's obvious nuance to this, as obvious, you know. Yeah. But, 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 but I really think the um, and it gets to something you said earlier, early in this conversation. And again, I tell this to grad students, so it's a clients, and it sounds like such a throwaway now because of Instagram culture. But I, it's the truth. If you just allow yourself to be human, the whole fucking thing is simple. Hmm. Right, and so somebody comes in for an interview. Can you be actually human? You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you invite them to be actually human, and then find that that yes, there is alignment here. Yeah, like you are of us. You you know there's there's a there's a there's a communal sort of linkage here. Cool. Now we have to be responsible to the machine side of this thing and make sure that the abstractions that you, you know that need to get done that work for you and you can get done competently. And again, there's a lot of reality to that, and nuance to that, and, and business reality to it, and all that. All that's there, absolutely. But all those things become so much clearer and cleaner mm-hmm. and noise-free if you just start with, oh yeah, everybody walks in the door is enough and human, <laughs> and so am I. And I need to engage that way. I can't engage as, you know, whatever, chief executive, as manager, as whatever, right? Those things I am accountable for, but that can't be where I start. If I'm going to engage with you concretely, I'm sorry, if I'm going to expect you to engage concretely, I need to engage concretely. Three, if you work yeah. it three times a week, we have students every single day, there's a huddle. Mm. Staff, we do a huddle. Mm. And it's literally like, what are your blockers? Same thing we ask the students. Yeah. What's going on with you? All right? Not what's going on with your job. It includes what's going on with your job, but what's going on with you? Mm. Because whatever's going on with you impacts your being here. Yeah. Right? And so can you not as, you know, HR mugs and posters, can you actually do the work and, 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 and put yourself at risk of being human mm. and allowing others to be human? while balancing that with the, abs- the needs of abstraction. I, I like this language because it's, it's so relevant to kind of the natural conflicts that occur in any group of people. And, and I'm going to use like office place as an example, but there are people who I think bring their human selves to the office and their home life is the abstraction. Mm. You know, their home life is their husband, father, brother, sister, whatever it may interesting, be. Interesting. And, you know, you get the real person at the, at the office. Yeah. And that's, that's and you get people who are exactly the opposite. Mm. They're nothing but the abstraction at work so that they can be wholly present yeah. when they're outside of it. 
ideally, you know, it's a blend and actually the abstraction is just you engaging with other things in the world around you that request the abstraction, right? You know, it's almost like we're talking, you would say, all right, uh, what I want is a human being right now. But someone else could say, actually, I want the abstraction of a human being who looks like you and has expectations associated with that. So, okay, I'll give you the abstraction. But, you know, if we're talking about, and I hesitate to say destination, but something to aspire to, it's to have the abstraction ready to be able to deliver that when you need to so you can function and then everyone else gets the human being. Yeah. But I, I think there's, there's such a conflict even just within the people that I interact with on a regular basis of whether they are willingly giving the abstraction. Yeah. And the question remains, I think, for me to consider, am I subtly requesting the abstraction without knowing that I'm signaling for it? Yeah, you interesting. Know? That's great. And you know, all this stuff, right? The way you said it is that it's process in Eastern mind, right? So it's probably, it's not about getting somewhere around how do I engage with people concretely? It's, it's the constant just attentiveness to it. That actually is what's human. The attentiveness is what's human, not getting it right. Mm. The abstraction is about getting it right. Like it's about being a really good leader, right? Yeah. That's an abstraction. <laughs> yeah. The human part of it is process. It's attentiveness. It's organic. It's in, it's just constantly being in the flow of the thing. That's actually human. The abstraction, a mechanical engineer, a you know software engineer, isn't in the they they know what the fuck needs to get done next in this area. That's not human. Humans human, I don't know what to get done. Yeah. But I'm committed to it getting done and paying attention to what is right. So yeah. it is, it's process, it's process, it's process. On the uh, uh, kind of, you know, being careful about inviting. So I said, your completeness for us is about for now, right? Like, I'm not done, but are you complete? Yeah, for now. One of the kind of parallel, one of the cousin uh, distinctions there is for this, right? So it's a, are you complete for now? And then um, when we kind of engage in work, it's for this. Are you, are you, are you committed for this? Mm-hmm. Not, is this all of you, but for this, can you, can you, you know, commit to outcomes? Can you promise outcomes? Mm. Both from a capability standpoint and a, and a kind of desire uh, standpoint, right? Um, and it's, a, it's, just, it's just a practice. It's just a way to keep in the mind, keep in the, in, the, in, the, in the body that whatever I'm requesting of you is just for this. This isn't who you are. Mm. It's a for this. And, and when I invite you to complete, it's just a for now. You're not done. I don't know who you're going to be tomorrow. <laughs> right? Yeah. So your completeness is for now. Your work is for this. And tomorrow for this will change. And your relationship to for this may change. And your for now will no longer be for now because life will have continued to happen, right? Yeah. So those are like practices that aren't about getting anywhere, but constantly just paying attention to these things. Thank you for listening to Absurd Wisdom. This is A.M. Bhatt. And, you know, conversation, real human conversation never actually ends, but episodes of podcasts need to. So we're going to end here. You can connect with me on Instagram and TikTok at, at Absurd Wisdom. Uh, you can find DAE on Instagram at DAE.community or online at mydae.org. Absurd Wisdom is produced and distributed by DAE Presents. 
the production arm of BAE. And uh, we'll be back with more conversation beyond understanding next Thursday.